Hello, hello. Welcome back to episode 19 of Podcast Royal. Before we get started, our usual bit, follow us on Instagram at Podcast Royal. Email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We got our first review this week, and it was um, hilarious, <laughs> but very positive. So thank you to all of those who are listening. How are you, my friend? I'm great, man. We had um, quite the eventful past week um, for our listeners. Rachel and I are in Birmingham and we had um, a really big tornado come through last week. And, um, you know, I was actually at home working and wasn't even watching the news. And Rachel texted me and said, <laughs> it's like a few miles from you. And I have to say it was a little bit scary and, and it was uh, pretty damaging, unfortunately. Um, so really just thinking about people in our area that were affected by that. Um, and, and thank you, Rachel, for the, for the text. Yeah, um, it was, I, I, I'm glad that I was able to notify you. I'm glad that everything was okay. It, it was very, it was way too close for comfort. I live about maybe four miles away from my mom and it went, it went within a mile of her home. So it was, it was way too close for comfort. So yes, thoughts are and prayers are out for um, our Birmingham friends, this side of the pond in the US whose homes were devastated by the storm. It was, it was really frightening. Well, how are you? I'm doing well. So listeners, we're releasing this episode on Friday, April 2nd, two days later than we normally would. And that is because of me. So I went away to the mountains this week and thought that I was going to have Wi-Fi. Showed up there on Tuesday night about five or six o'clock, which is the night that we normally record. And I have no Wi-Fi and I have no cell service. So I just got back into town today, Thursday, and so here we are recording. So that is my fault. So two days delayed, but hopefully our content will be worth it. So thank you, Jessica, for being patient with me and listeners for being patient as well. We're allowed to have a little wiggle room. Yes, yes, <laughs> I hope so, because life is life. So we recorded episode 18 on Tuesday evening, not this past Tuesday, but a week ago in two days. And then, of course, on Wednesday morning, literally right after our episode dropped, like within an hour or two, we found out that Zara Tyndall gave birth to her third child, a baby boy. And she gave birth in quite the dramatic fashion on her bathroom floor after she realized she wouldn't be able to make it to the hospital in time. Zara's husband, Mike Tyndall, revealed all of this on his podcast, The Good, The Bad, and The Rugby on Wednesday. And despite a dramatic entrance during his birth on Sunday, March 21st, little Lucas Phillip is doing well. Big sisters are Mia, seven, and Lena, two. And Lucas is Princess Anne's first grandson, as she already has four granddaughters. So, Jessica, what did you think of Mike's retelling of Zara's dramatic birth? <laughs> Well, I, you know, I'm sure it was really exciting for all of them to experience that. Um, I, you know, I know a lot of people thought it was dramatic and maybe a little inappropriate to talk about on the podcast that, that he does, but I didn't think so. Um, I loved how really into it he got um, and, and he sounded like, you know, he was a big help in the moment. And, and one thing is for sure, whether you're royal or not, um, 
we all, you know, do certain things the same way. And even Zara, you know, <laughs> when it was time to give birth, labor was not going to wait for her to get into the hospital. And, and some things just aren't super glamorous. But um, I love the story. And, and I was happy to hear the baby name and everyone's healthy. So that's all that really matters. <laughs> yes, of course, we love the the second Philip uh, shout out in, in a royal baby name. And what about six weeks, uh, mm -hmm. Eugenie first, Zara, and of course, Philip is also Mike's father's name. So that's a double special meaning. So, and on top of the Tyndall's first son, Sweden's Prince Carl Philip and wife, Princess Sophia, who we've spoken about on the podcast before, have also welcomed their third child. And this time, this is their third boy. So the new addition, Prince Julian, was born on Friday, March 26th in Stockholm. And he is a little brother for four-year-old Prince Alexander and three-year-old Prince Gabriel. So congratulations to all. We've got a lot of boys happening. So we're going to have the Sussex baby girl this summer to kind of even the score a little bit. So speaking of the Swedish royal family, we saw Crown Princess Victoria for the first time since it was announced that she had contracted COVID. She looked well, and we are happy that she seems to be on the mend and again in more royal baby boy news speaking of royal baby boys we saw some new photos of jack and eugenie's son august this week or really rather last week including him in his sweet monogrammed sweater so jessica what did you think of the sweet photos i loved this baby photo too um you know they Eugenie and Jack look so happy at this stage in life as a family of three and, and in their relationship. Um, and I'm kind of surprised we haven't really seen any photos of them that have been professionally done. I mean, they've all just been really casual, you know, at home, click on your phone kind of photos. Yeah. Um, and, and I love it. Um, you know, I, I noticed that Eugenie is super relaxed these days. She's, you know, doing this kind of no makeup with a headband look a lot lately. And, um, and, you know, she doesn't need the makeup. She still has the natural new mom glow and, and they just look great. And I love the sweater. They look over the moon happy. They just look besotted with each other and with August and everybody just looks so happy. So I wonder who's behind the camera. I, I, I don't know. You, I don't know. Maybe it's Beatrice, maybe it's a uh, mom or dad, I don't know. But so, okay, switching gears here to something a little bit tougher to talk about. So despite Harry and Meghan's Oprah interview where claims were made that a suicidal Meghan wasn't given support from the palace when she tried to get help for her mental health crisis, William and Kate spoke out last week about mental health appearing in a video message thanking those involved in the UK organization Time to Changes campaign to end stigmas surrounding mental health and well-being. William and Kate, of course, have long been proponents of mental health awareness, but the timing of this message is interesting after the Sussex's recent comments. William praised Time to Change's influence in making mental health awareness more mainstream, and Kate added that the, quote, work isn't done yet. William added on top of that, quote, we need to keep talking, keep taking action, and continue to stand up to the stigma. So Jessica, do you think it seems a little odd for the Cambridges to discuss mental health without kind of addressing the elephant in the room first? No, I, I don't. You know, they've been championing this initiative for a while now. Um, it, it's not something that's just recently come out that they've decided to do. And, you know, on the flip side of that, we, we've seen 
people also sort of, you know, look at the other elephant in the room, I think, which is um, Prince Harry taking on this role of chief impact officer with BetterUp. Um, but then on, you know, on that same note, talking about how he really didn't know how to help Megan when, when she was struggling mentally, although he's been sort of a champion for mental health himself. So, you know, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of elements in the room. I, I don't feel like they needed to address that yet. Um, I think that the Cambridges have really laid the groundwork for normalizing mental health discussions and they're continuing that work and, and they're doing a great job doing that. So I applaud them. Um, I don't feel like they need to speak to Megan's claims at this point. I, I think more still needs to come from the Palace HR department um, and, and they'll have to provide some sort of, you know, record, um, you know, kind of showing what happened there with Megan, I think before anyone speaks out on that, you know, she says she's got email saved or whatever, you know, evidence that can be found. But I just kind of feel like the timing is not right to, to speak up about that yet, given, um, you know, there's still a lot of a lot of missing parts to the story. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's I mean, I think that these two are allowed to speak out about mental health whenever they want to. And I think if anything, you know, Harry's maybe mishandling of the situation, William and Kate's mishandling of the situation. First of all, there's there's no perfect way to handle this, right? Um, it's, it's complex. And so I think maybe the message is that no one is perfect. William and Kate maybe didn't handle the situation perfectly. I don't know, in, in, meaning as far as the palace in general, Harry maybe didn't handle the situation perfectly with his wife, but I think no one does handle these situations perfectly, but as long as the conversations are being had and the ball is being moved forward, then that's progress. That's what I think. Right, I agree. So power to William and Kate for having the conversation. Harry, of course, for stepping into his role with advocating for mental health. And, you know, may we all just realize that we're all human and we're all trying to figure this imperfect world out one day at a time. So happy news about Kate. I am so excited to have this on my coffee table. Kate is now publishing her first book. So remember her hold still photo project capturing the COVID lockdown. I don't know how any of us could forget that was such a great project. Well, those photos have been turned into a book called Hold Still, A Portrait of Our Nation in 2020, which will bring together the 100 finalist portraits, as well as the stories that accompany the images. Kate actually wrote the foreword for the book and said in the book, quote, when we look back at the COVID-19 pandemic in decades to come, we will think of the challenges we all faced, the loved ones we lost, the extended isolation from our families and friends and the strain placed on our key workers. But we will also remember the positives, the incredible acts of kindness, the helpers and heroes who emerged from all walks of life and how together we adapted to a new normal. Through Hold Still, I wanted to use the power of photography to create a lasting record of what we were all experiencing, to capture individual stories and document significant moments for families and communities as we lived through the pandemic. I hope that the final 100 images showcase the experiences and emotions born during this extraordinary moment in history, pay tribute to the awe-inspiring efforts of all who have worked to protect those around them, 
and provide a space for us to pause and reflect upon this unparalleled period, end quote. So the book will be available May 7th, which is exactly one year after the project was launched. So I think I might already know the answer to this, but Jessica, will you be buying a copy for your coffee table? I'm definitely interested in seeing this. You know, I think it could have the potential to be a really, really touching piece and a great capsule for the future to, to go back and be able to see that. It's certainly a really interesting project. Um, I could see how it may be sort of a hurtful reminder for a lot of people right now because it's still so fresh and so many people are, are coping with um, with 2020 and, and um, how difficult that was. Uh, but I also see it as a way to really bind, especially the residents in the UK and, and bring everyone closer together during this time. So um, I'm excited to see it. And, and I know um, I know you're wanting a copy too. I am, and I have no celebrations coming up. I'm not a mother, so no Mother's Day. Really, my mom's birthday and Mother's Day are coming up in May, so I really should be buying this for her, but I really want it for me, so we'll figure it out. Maybe we'll get, maybe we'll get to, I hope they, I heard that um, shipping costs are, are not great across the pond, but I think it's worth it to support an effort like this. And speaking of gifts that you can get a royal lover like yourself listeners the royal collection trust has released pieces for the queen's upcoming 95th birthday and it is inspired by the pink roses at windsor castle all of it is on sale through the royal collection trust shop and includes a mug a side plate a teacup and saucer and more it, the, you all should look at this the list is quite extensive so you can even purchase an ornament featuring a corgi with balloons for 23 dollars a tin of shortbread biscuits for $15. I hope those will hold up uh, across the pond shipping. <laughs> and a cotton tea towel for $14. Of course, the Queen's 95th birthday is coming up later in April. So we can't let this week go by without wishing a happy 16th wedding anniversary to Charles and Camilla. The two just returned from their trip from Athens, Greece to celebrate the bicentennial of Greece's independence. So happy anniversary. And set your DVRs, listeners. There will be a third <laughs> Lifetime movie made about Harry and Meghan. My gosh, they are just uh, telling this story until it can't be told anymore. This one, which as of yet does not have a release date, will be called Harry and Meghan Escaping the Palace. That sounds like an Indiana Jones movie or something like that. <laughs> this follows the obviously Academy Award winning Harry and Meghan, a royal romance in 2018, and Harry and Meghan becoming royal in 2019. According to Lifetime, quote, the movie will detail Megan's growing isolation and sadness, their disappointment that the firm was not defending them against the press's attacks, and Harry's fear that history would repeat itself and he would not be able to protect his wife and son from the same forces that caused his mother's untimely death. Harry and Meghan escaping the palace will also reveal the private family feuds between Will and Harry. I didn't realize that lifetime was that close to William to call him Will, but okay. Kate and Megan and Harry with Will and Charles that lead to the ultimate break from the royal ties, quote, uh, or end quote. So Jessica, can we have a watch party when this airs? <laughs> 
So my first thought about this was how many times can you tell the Harry and Meghan story in a different way? And then I remembered every Lifetime and, and Hallmark movie for that matter is basically the same storyline. Right. <laughs> same so, story, different cast of characters. And I wonder who they're going to, because I will say that the last Lifetime movie, the actress that played Megan, whose name is escaping me, looked, did look very much like her. And the, the actor that played Harry didn't really look like him, but he sounded like him. So are they going to get the same actor and actress to play the couple? I don't know. Well, we should get all three and just do a marathon event. Okay, I'm down. We will okay. do this. We will, because we don't have a release date yet. So assuming that it's within, you know, maybe the end of the summer, I don't know. We, we can have a full night of it or a full Saturday of it and get some wine and just be appalled at Lifetime movies. But yet, yeah. I watched them all. So who am I to talk? Because well, I will be watching, of course I will. And then I'm also really excited. We keep getting still images of Kristen Stewart as Diana for the upcoming Spencer movie. And I'm very excited for that. So I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath for, I will, I, you know, we talked about this on the podcast. How many more times can we tell Diana's story, right? Like the ending doesn't change, spoiler alert. Like, you know, we know what's going to happen, but I will watch every one of these movies until I, and, and watch them multiple times. Like I am that person. Well, we need to start doing movie reviews on the podcast. <laughs> we do, we do. And also I just saw this today. So I just saw Netflix's April lineup and listeners and Jessica on April 11th, um, they are releasing, what did they call it? Diana, the interview that shook the world or something like that. And I wonder if that's the panorama interview. I don't know. I don't have confirmation of that, but um, we'll, we'll, I'll do some digging and next week for the podcast, we'll see. Uh, if that's the panorama interview or not, because if it is, oh my gosh, I will be there for that. So that's coming out on April 11th. So last item in the Royal Rundown today, William can, <laughs> can now claim the coveted title of world's sexiest bald man, which I know that he is so thrilled to receive. The Duke of Cambridge beat out contenders like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Pitbull, and Michael Jordan for the title. So there you go. Congratulations, <laughs> William. Or as Lifetime likes to call you, Will. So that's pretty casual to call the Duke of Cambridge Will. But anyway. Very pleased to hear that he um, got this award. You know, William has become more attractive as he's aged, in my opinion. Um, and I've seen some really great photos of him this week um, circulating in light of this article. And I think he looks great. I think he totally deserved it. Well, I saw him in uniform this week and I'm always, you know, a sucker for a man in uniform. So, okay, we're going to totally switch gears here. I'm glad William could have a piece of good news in what has been a pretty rough start to 2021. So he's the sexiest bald man. Um, this is another bald man. Um, we're going to, so we're going to switch into segment two, talking about the Royal family of Monaco. And then Jessica's going to do a great lifestyle segment on Monaco. Um, Prince Albert is also bald. Where was his recognition? I don't know. He did not win. 
William did. So last week, Monaco's Prince Albert was in the news criticizing Harry and Meghan's Oprah interview, telling BBC World News that while he, quote, can understand the pressure that they were under, end quote, he said that, quote, these types of conversations should be held within the intimate quarters of the family, and it doesn't really have to be laid out in the public sphere like that. It did bother me a little bit, he said of Meghan and Harry's interview. I can understand where they're coming from in a certain way, but I think it wasn't the appropriate forum to be able to have these kinds of discussions. So I've been saying for weeks that I wanted to discuss the Monaco royal family on the podcast. They're my second favorite royal family behind the British royal family, and they too have fascinated me since birth because of Grace Kelly and her glamour. And Jessica's going to talk more about Monaco and the culture, but I'm going to do a quick primer on the royal family. So Grace Kelly married into the House of Grimaldi, which has ruled Monaco with brief interruptions since 1297. Prince Albert, who we just mentioned, is currently on the throne and has been for about 15 or so years. So though the monarchy dates back to 1297, we'll pick up with the family in 1956 when the reigning Prince Rainier, who had been on the throne since 1949, married American actress Grace Kelly that April 19th. So see another precedent for a royal marrying an American actress. So before his death in 2005, Prince Rainier ruled for 56 years, making him one of the longest ruling European monarchs in history. He met Grace Kelly in 1955 when she had a photo call at the palace while she was abroad for the Cannes Film Festival. After a year-long courtship, they married in what was then called the Wedding of the Century, receiving global media fanfare. Princess Grace's wedding dress is absolutely one of my favorite wedding dresses of all time, and it was said to have inspired Kate's wedding dress in 2011. So Rainier and Grace's wedding was attended by 700 guests, and after a seven-week honeymoon cruise on the Mediterranean, Grace returned home expecting her first child, Princess Caroline, who was born on January 23rd, 1957. Their second child and heir to the throne, Prince Albert, followed on March 14th, 1958, and on February 1st, 1965, their youngest, Princess Stephanie, completed the family. All three children were delivered at the palace. And speaking of Zara Tyndall, by the way, uh, home birth, did you know that home births for the British royal family were commonplace until Princess Anne get started giving birth to Peter and Zara at the Lindo wing? Those were the first out of palace births. So it's really not that long of a tradition. I know Zara's home birth was accidental and not planned, but um, a lot of royal families do give birth at their respective palaces. Well, I remember learning about that. And, um, you know, it's funny, it's only been in recent decades that they've had births at a hospital and the husband's been present. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's not an altogether uncommon trend to give birth at home, although I'm not sure I would want to partake in that. But so all three children, Caroline, Albert, and Stephanie have been subjects of controversy throughout their lives. But the biggest tragedy in the family occurred on September 13th, 1982, when Grace was driving back to Monaco from her country home. She had a stroke and lost control of her 1971 Rover P6 3500 and drove off the steep winding road and down a 120 foot mountainside. Stephanie, 
her youngest, was in the passenger seat and tried but failed to regain control of the car. Princess Grace did not die immediately, but after suffering brain injuries, died the next night, September 14th at 10.55 p.m. after her husband decided to take her off of life support. The world mourned alongside Monaco, and for her part, Stephanie survived with a light concussion and a hairline fracture of a cervical vertebrae. So the three Grimaldi children made headlines in the 1980s and 1990s as party animals and wild children. After her mother's death in 1982, Caroline served as the de facto first lady of Monaco until her longtime bachelor brother Albert finally married at age 53 in 2011. Caroline has made tabloid headlines as one of the best dressed women in the world and also for dating numerous playboys. She has been married three times. Her first marriage ended in divorce after only two years in 1980, having had no children with him. And in 1983, she married her second husband, Stefano Kazrahi, which I'm probably mispronouncing. They have three stunningly gorgeous children. Seriously, they're they are especially, especially Pierre. He is, he is absolutely stunning. Andrea, who is, who is a man, born in 1984. Charlotte, born in 1986, absolutely beautiful. She's a former model. And Pierre, as I just mentioned, born in 1987. In 1990, Stefano was violently killed in a speedboating accident at age 30, leaving a devastated Caroline a widow. Only weeks before his death, Stefano had survived an accident after his boat blew up, and he had plans to retire after what would be his final race on October 3rd. He perished that day. In 1999, Caroline married for the third time to current husband Prince Ernst August of Hanover, they have one daughter together, Alexandra, born in 1999. Following his father's death in 2005, Prince Albert ascended to the throne. Albert is one of the wealthiest royals in the world with assets valued at more than $1 billion. Albert was one of the world's most famous bachelors until he married South African Olympic swimmer Charlene Witsock, who is 20 years Albert's junior in 2011. They have boy-girl twins, Gabriella and the heir, Jacques born in 2014. He also has two children, Jasmine and Alexander, born out of wedlock, but Monica only allows children born through marriage to be heirs to the throne, so that is why Jacques is the heir. Though many members of the Grimaldi family are plagued by scandal, perhaps there is no one more so than the youngest of Rainier and Grace's three children, Stephanie. Throughout her life, Stephanie has been a singer, a swimwear designer, and a model, but most notably was a passenger in a car, or was she? Many sources claim it was 17-year-old Stephanie that was driving the car in the accident that killed her mother, which Stephanie flatly denies. Stephanie had two children, Louis, born in 1992, and Pauline, born in 1994, with her bodyguard, Daniel Ducruet, whom she married in 1995. They divorced in 1996. Stephanie gave birth to her third child, Camille, in 1998, and though the father's name was not included on the birth certificate, it was later revealed to be Stephanie's head of security, Jean Raymond Gottlieb. In 2001, Stephanie began dating married elephant trainer, Franco Nee. They broke up in 2002. And in 2003, Stephanie married Portuguese acrobat, Adans Lopez Perez, a member of ex-boyfriend Nee's circus ensemble. They divorced in 2004. 
So the Monica royal family has always been interesting to me. They are all so beautiful and how could they not be? They all descend from Grace Kelly. They've been ridden with scandal and intrigue and constantly making headlines. If you don't already pay attention to this glamorous family, you certainly won't be bored. Now I'm handing it over to Jessica to tell you a little bit more about Monaco and the culture of the very small but very, very luxurious country. Your segment was so interesting and I loved the way that you broke it down. Um, you know, I've heard a lot about the family of Monaco, but in bits and pieces. So to hear it as one full story um, was, was a really good, um, a really good listen. I feel like I learned a lot. Yeah, and this in this upcoming generation like Pierre and Charlotte and Andrea, the Kazrai kids, um, they are all so gorgeous and so interesting. So, you know, of course we love the British royal family. We love the Swedish royal family, but the Monaco royal family, start paying attention to them because they are compelling. Well, I'm excited to uh, blow everybody's mind with this segment because I was doing research on Monaco. And let me tell you, there's a lot of interesting stuff uh, with this little small place. So, I thought it would be cool since, you know, we've been talking about wanting to discuss the royal family of Monaco and other royals across Europe. Um, thought it would be fun to do a country profile because we talk about these families, but, um, you know, a lot of people know about the UK and, and what the culture is like there, um, especially if you live in the US, I feel like we're very closely related to them. Um, but a lot of people don't know about all of these other countries across Europe and, and really unique, cool things about those places. So um, I've tried to kind of break everything down into like four to four categories, sort of. Um, so I did location, climate, lifestyle, industries and government, um, and then last but not least, food. So that kind of helped me collect all of these facts in little groups. So we'll go ahead and get started and we'll talk about location and climate first. So where exactly is Monaco? Um, if any of our listeners have been there before, please reach out to us and let us know. You can send us an email or a DM and tell us why you've been. Maybe you lived there. Maybe you visited on vacation. I would love to hear your thoughts. I think it's a really cool place. This so is on my top 10 travel list, by the way. For anyone who is not familiar, it's located in the French Riviera. It is bordering France and it's a really short distance from Italy. It's just about 10 miles. So there's a lot of different cultural influences there. Um, it's right along the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and you might be surprised by how small Monaco is. We've talked about it being small, um, but it's actually just over 1.3 square miles. And for reference, that's smaller than New York City's Central Park. And it's a thousand times smaller than the state of Rhode Island. Wow. That's pretty small. That's, that's good. Con I knew it was small. I didn't realize it was that small. Yeah. So there are no lakes or rivers in Monaco. It's sunny for about 300 days out of the year. And the average temperature is a refreshing 61 degrees. Typically summers get up to about 70s or 80s and winter temperatures go as low as 40s, 50s. So in my opinion, you really can't get much more perfect than that weather. Mm -hmm. So natural wildlife in Monaco, common local animals are deer, fox, weasels, and of course, dolphins off the coast. Um, local plants there are palms, cypress trees, roses, orange trees, olive trees, and camellias. 
Monaco is a sovereign country and city state. It's been a constitutional monarchy since 1911 with the Prince of Monaco as head of state. So this tiny little area is sectioned into four segments called courtiers. There's the town of Monaco, which is known as the Rock, and that's where the old town is located. And as we always say, I'm going to give this disclaimer, pardon me for my mispronunciation of words. There's a lot here that I'm probably going to mispronounce, but the, um, <laughs> yeah, the second little segment is called Condamine, which is the business district. And then there's Monte Carlo, which is the well-known gambling district. Um, I think there are three casinos there that are pretty well known. Um, and there is actually been three James Bond movies that were filmed at the Monte Carlo Casino and that casino opened in 1863 so um, that's a big a big place people like to visit mm -hmm. and then the last courtier is Fontville or Fontville it's the newest courtier um, and it has the Monaco heliport which connects people to Nice France so a fun fact, Monaco does not have any um, airports. They only have heliports. So you have to helicopter in. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yep. You can fly into France or Italy and then, um, or I guess, I, I don't know where all the, if, if they, if they do helicopters to Italy, but they definitely do France. So you can mm -hmm. fly into France and then take a helicopter in. So, mm -hmm. um, so moving on to lifestyle. There are just over 38,000 people living in this 1.3 square miles of Monaco. Um, if you are already considering a move to this dream destination based on what you've heard so far, keep listening because you're gonna need to get your finances in order before <laughs> you purchase a home here. Um, I know Rachel alluded to this earlier, but it is known as a billionaire's playground. It has the third most expensive real estate in the world. And Monaco is well known for its casinos, its high profile events, and the extreme wealth in this country. So more than 32% of the population is a millionaire. Wow. The average salary in Monaco is 80,000. Um, and for comparison, the average salary in the US is 31,000. So, and I think those numbers were from 2019 when I looked it up, I, I think that was the most recent I could find, but it's a pretty big difference when you compare those two. Yeah. Um, one in 56 people in Monaco is worth $30 million. Wow. Um, if this still seems doable to you and you are interested in purchasing a home here, I've got some real estate information that might be helpful to our also, listeners. Would you like to become a sponsor of Podcast Royal if you have that kind of money and are listening to the show? Right, right. <laughs> a fraction of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> So on average, homes are priced around $4,560 per square foot. Wow. That's a lot of money. I'm, I'm looking at your next point about the apartment. I'm like, okay, so I could do an apartment here. Uh, no, no. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> if you are on the hunt for an apartment, most are priced between $2.3 million and $22 million. <laughs> Um, but they can go up more than that if you get like a really like high-end fancy penthouse or something you're looking like in the 50 millions. Um, but you can go for a budget option. You can get a one bedroom apartment for a mere $1.6 million. Okay. I mean, that's, that's more in my price range, right? Uh-huh. No. <laughs> so, okay. So what about the people who call this place home? Let's talk a little bit more about them. They seem to be doing pretty well in many areas of life. And one of those is life expectancy. 
So the life expectancy in Monaco is the highest in the world at 89.3 years. Um, well, I'd want to live that long if I were that rich too. I know. Well, I, w- I was thinking that Japan had the highest life expectancy and I think they actually come in number two under Monaco. Wow. So perhaps not surprisingly, natives born in Monaco um, are the minority in the country. So more than 75% of residents are foreign born. Um, You'll find a mix of cultures in the area, um, mostly French, Italian, and British. Um, But if you are born in Monaco, you are called, um, and I hope I'm saying this right, um, a Monegasque. Yes. A local born person from Monaco would be called. Um, If you live in Monaco, but you were born outside of the country, you were called a Monacoan. I think it's how you say that or a Monacoan. So yeah, there are two different names there. The official language is French um, and 90% of residents in Monaco are Roman Catholic. So we'll move on to government and economy. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Monaco is known as a tax haven. This means they have no income tax and very low business tax. Um, The poverty rate is at zero, which means 0% of the population lives below the poverty line. And the unemployment rate is also at zero. Interesting. People are doing very well here. (laughs) Yeah, I would like to join them. I don't think I would fit in though, but hey. what are the big industries in the country? Um, Monaco is known for its tourism, of course, its gambling industries. Tourism accounts for about 15% of the country's income. Um, and 1.5 million people visit Monaco every year. So for such a tiny place, they've got a lot of people coming in there. Mm-hmm. A few other industries in Monaco include banking, construction, perfumes, chemicals, plastics, electronics, pharmaceuticals, and sports. Um, Some of the very first industries in Monaco included a chocolate factory, a flour mill, and a brewery back in the early 1900s. So a country that is well known for its casinos, um, you might think that the residents there really love to gamble But if they do, they have to do it elsewhere. So in Monaco, it's actually illegal for the locals to gamble. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, So the thought here is it's an activity reserved for tourists. um, And this approach helps Monaco earn gambling money from outsiders rather than having their residents gamble away the wealth in the country. Huh. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, So if you do decide to visit Monaco, Should you be concerned for your safety while you're there? What would you think, Rachel? I'm going to say no. The only uh, injury you might have to your body is the paper cuts from all the money you'll be counting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you would be right. Monaco is actually a really great choice for tourists because the crime rate is extremely low. So there's one police officer for every 100 people, which means it's the highest, one of the highest security places in the world. They have a 24-hour surveillance system in place, and it goes throughout the entire city. So unless you're just giving your purse away to strangers, you're likely to not have your belongings taken from you while visiting. It sounds like the local Monaco residents would literally laugh if they saw the contents of my purse. They probably have that in like their couch cushion. That's what I was going to say. They don't really have to steal because they're all millionaires. Yeah. Why need, why, why do you need anybody else's money when, you know, you're a millionaire on your own? 
So Monaco is known for attracting visitors to two events each year. The big events in Monaco are the Monaco Yacht Show and the Monaco Grand Prix. Have you heard of either of those, Rachel? I've heard of the Grand Prix. Me too. Yeah. So I did a little digging. Uh, the Monaco Yacht Show is Europe's biggest in-water display of large yachts, and it includes more than 125 super yachts. And I think you can actually, if you go there and view the, the yachts, you can actually purchase them um, while you're there if you see something that, that you really like. But a daily pass to the show runs between three and four hundred dollars. It's actually not that bad. No, I mean, no, I'm sure there are packages that go way above that, but I was looking at the, like the nosebleed passes to see, you know, what we could get in uh, at a budget, but um, the Monaco Grand Prix is, it's held the last weekend in May each year, and it's a Formula One motor race. Um, it is held on the Circuit de Monaco. Um, weekend tickets to the show start around 700. I think you can get cheaper tickets to the practice events earlier in the week, um, or you can go really big and get travel packages. I mean, they have full packages for thousands and thousands of dollars, but 700 for a full weekend to see Monaco Grand Prix sounds like it's probably pretty reasonable if you're going to visit the area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, that's just, I mean, $700 just to pay to people watch at the Grand Prix. Right. You know, I, I mean, the people you'd see would be incredible. Right. So, okay, we are going to move on to food now. Um, this is our last category. Um, so, Monaco, again, is in the French Riviera, but several cultures do collide here. Um, so, you're sure to find some fresh, amazing food, uh, probably inspired by some of the nearby countries. A lot of the local dishes include fresh produce and olive oil. Um, in Monaco, you'll also find a lot of classic French dishes, um, as well as Mediterranean flavors like anchovy and cod, um, and several Italian dishes too. So residents of Monaco love to enjoy their meals in a relaxed, casual style. I have to imagine, given the Mediterranean climate, dining al fresco is probably pretty common. I can just see, you know, sitting outside watching the ocean and having some really awesome French or Italian food. Mm -hmm. If you are invited to someone's home for dinner, it's customary there to bring a small hostess gift and it is considered polite to finish your meal. Um, I think I've read in some other cultures, it's actually finishing your meal could be offensive because it is a sign that uh, they didn't give you enough food. Huh. Um, I, yeah, I cannot remember which country that that is customary in, um, but definitely in Monaco and definitely in the U.S., um, we like to finish everything on our plate. So, yes. Yes. Um, so I'm going to share some dishes commonly found in Monaco. Uh, the first is sokka. This is a round flatbread, sort of looks like a pancake sort of bread. It's made with chickpea flour, so it's gluten-free. Um, and it's sometimes served with soup, or you could actually make like your own little pizza out of it, uh, but that's pretty commonly eaten. Um, another dish is, and I don't know how to say this, but stokafi. coffee. It's a fish stew, and it's made from dried cod. It's baked in tomato sauce with garlic, olives, and capers. Next is gnocchi and of course we're familiar with this in the U.S. It's a potato-based dumpling. Um, it's often eaten like a pasta. Sometimes it's confused as a, as a pasta. Um, I had some really good gnocchi in New York City one time. I've um, never had gnocchi. No, gnocchi. 
Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Get the, the right pronunciation, gnocchi. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember, uh, I want to say the gnocchi that I had in, um, in New York City, it was, it was different. It, it had a little spin on the dish, but it was good. And I actually sometimes get the cauliflower gnocchi at Trader Joe's, if you've never had that, Rachel. Ooh, that sounds good. Maybe you can make that for our lifetime binge day. I'll have to do that. Yeah. It's a little sticky, but, um, but it's good. Okay. So the next item is, and I don't know how to say this at all. Um, Barbaguian. Yeah. I'm not, I have no, I act as if I know. Listener out there like, Oh my God, it's pronounced Barbaguian, but I don't Barbaguian. Barbaguan, yeah, barbecuean. I don't know. Anyway, this is called, um, it's often referred to as Monaco's national dish. So it is Swiss chard and ricotta rolled in a pastry dough oh. and pan fried. Yum. Yeah, yeah, Give definitely. Give me some of that. <laughs> and then another dish commonly eaten there is bouillabaisse, which is another type of fish stew. It's made with three different types of fish simmered in um, a broth with vegetable. And the last item on this list is porchetta, which is a boneless pork roast with um, stuffed with liver and fennel and roasted for several hours. So, okay, Rachel, which ones look like your favorite? If you and I were going to Monaco this weekend, what would we try? I, I mean, you have to try the national dish, right? Like that just that just has to be done. So the barb, and now I'm gonna butcher <laughs> the barbaguian, barbaguian. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, that's definitely on a must try. Um, I also, so I've never had stokafi. I would, I would definitely be up to try it. I'm not a big olive or caper person. Um, and then I, I've been eating gluten-free for a year now. So I'll try sokka. I actually may look for a recipe for that and see if I could make it at home sometime. Yeah, it just sounds, I mean, not surprising. All of the food sounds so Mediterranean and um, and that makes total sense based on the geography of Monaco, but um, it's just, they, they have a lot of bread products and a lot of fish products. So I'd be a happy camper. Yep, definitely. Well, that wraps up our little country profile in Monaco. I had so much fun researching that and I gave my mom a few spoilers about the country and she was really intrigued and she said she's added that to her top list of places to vacation. Yeah. Um, if she and my dad make the trip, I will hop in the suitcase and, and join them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, definitely fun. It's a place that I really hadn't given much thought to before doing this and um, I hope our listeners enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great job profiling. And Grace Kelly really put this tiny little country on the map. And the family has, I mean, the family is beautiful because they're all descended from Grace Kelly. And um, we're all over the headlines in the 80s and 90s and even into the 2000s. So make sure to follow this family. We'll report more on them. Um, it just so happened that Prince Albert made the news this week. And so it seemed like the right time. But we will for sure be following Monaco just as we follow Sweden and, uh, of course, the British royal family. So we will get back on track next week. We will have our regularly scheduled episode next Wednesday. 
And we thank you so much, as always, for tuning into episode 19 of Podcast Royal. And happy Easter to those who celebrate. This episode will drop on Good Friday, and then Easter is on Sunday. So happy Easter, and we will chat with all of you lovely people next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you.